Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan. And Cassidy Zachary. Well, hello, dress listeners, and welcome to another edition of Fashion History Now, where we bring you all of the fashion history happenings today. Yes. Uh, April and I kind of, you know, we keep notes of things we're watching, things we're doing, and we love to share them with you, and we love when you share them with us as well. Yes, and it's been a hot minute since we've done one of these, so, so I'm ex- I, have, I have lots of fun things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was just something I wanted to suggest that our listeners watch. And that is the new YouTube video by Couture Courtesan. That is her Instagram handle. And she has this fabulous new video highlighting research, her research on mid-19th century Victorian morning practices. And it's a really fabulous video. It's like a quick 20 minutes. And I highly, highly suggest you check it out. Yeah, and and you say a quick 20 minutes, but let's just say creating something that is 20 minutes, (laughs) it is not quick. It takes a ton of time to make those longer videos, even a three-minute video sometimes, like, like it's just, it takes a ton of time and work, so. Yeah, and I, I've dabbled in it, and it is not easy. Um, <laughs> but you can check out her video at the Couture Courtesan on YouTube. And really, I mean, YouTube is such a wonderful resource for fashion history. There's so, she, I think she's a historical costumer and an academic. There's so many videos on there about anything you could actually possibly imagine. So, including like historic footage. So get on there and check it out. Cool. Well, the first thing I want to talk about today isn't necessarily about clothing per se, but it is about fashion. So, um, you know, on the show, we've talked about several different times that this idea of fashion or the fashion system can apply itself to so much more than just clothing, such as interior design. And if you look at like historic magazines, you can see where the styles come and where they go. So I do want to talk a little bit about interior design today. And friends, if you would like to fall into a very deep, dark rabbit hole, head on over to Ikea Museum. <laughs> Unexpected addition to the podcast. Yeah, and I, I felt the same way before when I first heard about it. But let me just tell you, they have digitized 70 years of their catalogs going back all the way to the 1950s. And so it's it's so cool. You can flip through each catalog page by page and see all the different styles and all the different offerings and also like the graphic design trends and, and how the catalogs themselves over 70 years <laughs> were created. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's just really cool. And I just wanted to mention it because we're all spending so much more time at home over the last year. And I don't know about anybody else, but, uh, you know, within the last few months, I've either rearranged, tweaked, or added pieces to our apartment about five different times. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> so if any of you are in that same space as I am and you're looking for a refresh and you're looking for some you know, potential design ideas, check out the Ikea catalogs. Of course, like all the furniture is not available anymore, but some of it's just really fun in terms of like the color combinations of certain decades and how how the rooms were, you know, arranged and styled and, you know, even space planning ideas, you know, dating back all the way to the 1950s. So not about clothes, but definitely about fashion. Although that does bring up a potential episode someday on fashionable clothing and interior design because there is quite a lot of intermixing, especially in the 1950s and 60s. If you look at a lot of the photo shoots in like Vogue magazine, there's a lot of that kind of intermingling of fashion and interior design. So that's actually a quite interesting topic. And fashion advice at the time talks about, in the fashion magazines, talks about if you are the hostess, of an event or a party that is being hosted in your own home that you need to consider how your outfit is going to coordinate with your interiors. (laughs) So. (laughs) So much to think about. Yeah. What else you got? I have some Instagram suggestions to follow, as you know, we love to do. And I know you're going to join me, April, in saying that we are huge fans of this account and this artist. And the account is called Matching and then period, Melania. And she has a quote on her Instagram. It says, one should either wear a work of art or be a work of art. I would consider her both. And I mean, she's really this incredible artist. She has this uncanny ability to match her clothing to murals around Mexico. And when I say match, I don't mean she just wears a similar color or two. It's like this immersive experience Experience where it literally looks like she is part of the art. Yeah. It's incredible. Sometimes it's even hard to find her in the big pictures. Um, and I've been dying to have her on the show for like several months now, and I just haven't quite reached out to her yet. So I will do that this week, and maybe she will join us and, and talk more. It's really, I mean, we had Fabiola on recently. It's really a treat to get to talk to these contemporary artists who are using dress and the clothed body is a medium for their art. So Mm -hmm. we would love to have Melania on the show. Yes. Uh, And one other Instagram I want to suggest is at Nerae's Dollhouse. Oh, I don't know about this. N-O-R-A-E-S Dollhouse. The quote on her Instagram handle is my life in Barbie form. And it's literally that, you know how much I love miniature things. Yes, I do. So it's a this woman's Barbie house and her Barbie, which is basically her mini-me. And she has this full wardrobe. It's absolutely incredible. And each, you know, every time she posts, it's like a different outfit and a different room in this incredible house. And it's all Barbie. (laughs) So um, this is a whole world I had nothing, I knew nothing about. Uh, It's totally a thing. And I highly suggest our listeners check it out. Now, I have a question. Are the clothes like, purchased Barbie clothes, like from the store, or is she making these clothes? And if so, are they replicas of her own wardrobe? Well, I think I don't, I didn't do too big a deep dive into it, but I know when I did look at a couple things, like she purchased some of it off Etsy. And Mm -hmm. so there's a whole market on Etsy where, you know, artisans are creating doll clothes. Right. So fashionable doll clothes. So I don't think they're actually Barbie by any means in terms of like, you know, Barbie Mattel (laughs) produced wardrobe, but uh, they're super, super chic. And so is her house. And it's all quite wonderful and fantastical. And I am here for it. Well, she's going to have one new follower after we stop (laughs) recording today. So there's that. (laughs) 
So I have something for our listeners to do, and that is you still have a chance to sign up for the Slow Factory Foundation's free open education winter spring semester, which I know we've talked about on the show before. Mm -hmm. April and I cannot recommend this programming enough. And a little bit about Slow Factory for those who might not know or remember Quote, Slow Factory sees fashion as a vehicle for social, cultural, and environmental change. Our work expands far beyond the fashion industry in scope and impact. And they're really a 501c3 public service organization operating as an open education institute, an independent research lab, which is just amazing the things they're doing, and a new media platform and a granting and empowerment fund. We believe in a regenerative climate positive, anti-racist approach to creating climate change solutions and ultimately systemic change. And so they have this whole semester of programming and it's equity-centered education for Black, Brown, Indigenous, and minority ethnic communities taught by Black, Brown, Indigenous, and minority ethnic scholars, thinkers, and educators, including past dress guest and April's dear friend, Bliss Lau. Mm -hmm. Karina Emmerich, and then the whole organization is spearheaded by founder uh, Celine Simon, who's just an incredible, incredible uh, woman. And just a little insight into their lineup, you have courses on everything from fashion and colonialism to fashion and prison labor. They have this incredible history series as well, including the history of plastic and cotton, which as one can imagine, the latter has a very long colonial heritage directly linked to trade and enslaved persons. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about that history. Karina is the last class that I attended. She did a incredible course on fashion and resistance. And she used the red dress movement as a case study to show the power of both the dressed body and embodied dress. And um, this red dress movement is an ongoing project that was begun in 2010. And it uses a hanging red dress uh, to symbolize and commemorate the thousands of missing and murdered Indigenous women across Canada and the U.S. Um, It was an incredibly powerful course. She's an incredible teacher, I can't recommend it enough. As I mentioned, these courses are intended to be free for Black, Brown, Indigenous, and minority ethnic communities. So, and they ask that white participants such as myself donate, and I was very happy to do so. You know, this opportunity to learn from these incredible teachers is an invaluable experience, and it's really helping us all to be more conscious in our everyday lives in relationship to the clothes we put on our bodies. Yes. I get into it. And I believe it's every Friday for the next few months. Is that right? Are they on Fridays? There are on Fridays. Um, I don't know if it's every single week, but um, I think it's like 12 p.m. EST um, mm-hmm. on Zoom. And yeah, just it's, an incredible, incredible series. It's all on my calendar. I, I always just have to check in each week to see when classes. Speaking of education and education that you can engage with yourself online for free, potentially. I would like to mention the Willie Smith Community Archive. And Cass, as you know, and some of our listeners probably will recall that there was an exhibition on Willie Smith called Street Couture. It was Willie Smith Street Couture, which um, closed this past October at the Cooper Hewitt Museum, which is, of course, the Smithsonian's National Design Museum here in New York City. And for those of you who might not be familiar with Willie Smith, he was incredibly important for sort of setting the scene for contemporary street style that we see today. 
And Cooper Hewitt describes and sets up the show as such, quote, during his 20-year career, Willie Smith united fashion and American culture, marrying affordable, adaptable basics with avant-garde performance, film, art, and design. At the sudden time of his death from aid-related illness, Smith was considered to be the most commercially successful Black American designer of the 20th century and a pioneer of, quote, street couture. Fashion inspired by the creativity of people from the cities and to the suburbs that captured the egalitarian spirit of the age. So for any of those of you who did not actually get to attend the exhibition, um, because it literally closed, I think, the night after it opened because of COVID. And then, you know, we went through all of this. So so if, if you didn't get to see it this past fall, don't fret. You can still learn a little bit about Smith's career during the 1970s and the 1980s because the Cooper Hewitt has created this incredibly rich online presence for the exhibition in the form of the Willie Smith Community Archive. So cool. Yeah, it has people's stories, uh, personal photographs, ephemera, um, images of garments, and it's really one of the coolest incarnations or maybe even additions to a physical exhibit that I've ever seen. And and one of the aspects, first of all, it's incredibly robust. There are something like 50 essays on specific themes within Willie's work. Some of them are people's personal recollections of, you know, experiences wearing his clothes. Some of them are about themes within his work. And um, essayists, include past guest dress Stephen Burroughs and Pat Cleveland. And then also models of the era that worked with Willie, like Beth Ann Hardison and Veronica Webb. Fashion journalist Fern Malice wrote an essay. And I think one of my favorite ones was by contemporary artist Lisa Yuskovich. Some of you who are into contemporary art will, will recognize her name as a painter. But she wrote a whole essay charmingly about how she wore a Willie Smith design to her very first day of high school. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And, and and it's not just, quote unquote, famous people contributing. The general public is also called upon to share their stories pertaining to Willie's work. And I just love this dynamic model of community engagement in terms of giving the exhibition a, a much longer life and presence on the web that just keeps it alive and keeps it ever evolving. So I, I thought it was really wonderful. And there's just so much to see here. So check it out. And you can do so at cooperhewitt.org forward slash Willie Smith. And Willie is W-I-L-L-I. So, And there's also a catalog that accompanies it, which is really fabulous. And another past dress guest, Eric Darnell Pritchard, one of our favorites, they contributed an article. Um, it's I, I second everything April said. It's really, really fabulous. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and also co-curated by soon-to-be guest Darnell Jamal Lisby. So um, lots of connections back to Dressed. Absolutely. And since we're on the topic of exhibitions and digital components and incarnations of fashion exhibitions, Cass, do you want to talk about the graduate students' new show at FIT? Yeah, and I actually think this is a really wonderful way to end our show. Of course, it comes full circle. This is April and I's grad program uh, that we both attended, and it's so cool. Every year, we look forward to seeing the graduate student exhibition. It's one of the highlights of being a student in this program is that you spend an entire year with your classmates planning and prepping this exhibition and, you know, seeing it 
brought to fruition. Unfortunately, COVID-19 had other plans for a in-person exhibition, but you know what? Now it's online and so many more people can see it now, Mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible. I don't know if I would have been able to have made it out, but now I got to do this incredible walkthrough. The online aspect is wonderful. And I have some some thoughts on that that I want to share in a minute. Yeah, for sure. And um, really incredible exhibition. It's called The Roaring Twenties and The Swinging Sixties. It's a collaboration between the museum at FIT and, as I said, the graduate studies program. So the students in the F- in FIT's Masters of Arts program, Fashion and Textile Studies, History, Theory, and Museum Practice. It launched March 15th, and it's all online. And it's a virtual exhibition that, as the title suggests, compares the fashions of the 20s and 60s. Quote, both eras experienced tumultuous cultural changes resulting in revolutionary shifts in fashion, Similarly to the 20s and 60s, movements for social justice and racial and gender equality characterized 2020. The Roaring 20s and the Swinging 60s invite you to consider the effects of contemporary social movements, protest against oppression, and civil unrest on current fashions, and how today's style changes might compare on those that occurred during the 20s and 60s. And these similarities are explored through six thematic sections, and that includes 20s Nostalgia, Dream and Discontent, Obsession with Youth, Music Mania, Cultural Appropriation, and Mode and Modernity. And they say that the shared spirit of the times, whether in art, music, technology, social movements, and upheaval, or cultural inspiration, is highlighted by paired objects with discernible visual similarities. And there are quite a number (laughs) of similarities as they show over and over again. I was curious, April, what you thought of the exhibition and if you had any favorite objects or favorite parts. Yeah, I thought it was really, really well done. And and I want to get into more about like what I loved about it in terms of how we might start seeing more of this type of online only exhibition. But one of the one of the things I loved about it is like how um comprehensive it was. But let's talk about objects first, because some of these direct comparisons are literally breathtaking, staggeringly yeah. <laughs> similar. Um, I really love, there's a comparison of a black Molyneux dress that kind of has really long strips of, almost seems like mylar or something to it from 1926. Um, and that's paired right next to a Mamboche dress from the 1960s that is extremely similar in the kind of sheath silhouette, but instead of the strips of mylar, it's just pleated. And I really loved that one. And then there was another one that was extremely graphic in terms of like the patterning and the motifs. The first one was from the 20s and it was a knitwear day dress that was kind of beige. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, and it had um, kind of tonal 20s art deco graphics in, in the shape of, triangles and and placed all over the patterning. Um, And it was by an anonymous designer, but it was paired right next to an ensemble by Mila Schoen, um, who was an Italian designer in the 1960s. And she was really known for the graphic elements and almost kind of like an op art quality to her work. It was usually done not necessarily by way of like weaving it into the knit, like the 20s piece, but hers was oftentimes done by embellishment, um, whether that be applique or embroidery or whatnot. But um, I'm going to guess that one of your favorites was the Paul Paré dress that opens <laughs> on the first page. Yes, I always love a good Paul Paré. Of course, this is nearing the end of his career. So his designs are really interesting during this period, but I won't go into that 
too much. Um, but this dress with this beautiful gradient of color on it, and it's I think it's bugle beads. It's deck. It's it's everything you want a 1920s dress to be. It's orange <laughs> and yellow and and quite beautiful. And again, paired next to um, a 1960s you know shift dress. And there's just so many similarities between these two eras. And that's one of the things I really really loved about this exhibition because it's linking these two eras by their relationship between fashion and social change. Yeah. Which, as we know, on dressed are intimately interlinked. And they they really did it by casting this wide net over 1920s and 60s experiences. They highlight things such as the dance crazes of the Harlem Renaissance of the 1920s and then, you know, the birth control pill of the 1960s. All of these things influenced people's relationships with their bodies in a myriad of ways. So whether it's, you know, how you move your body to the rhythms of jazz music, the clothing that allows you to do that, or how you take ownership of your body with the ability to control getting pregnant with the birth control pill. Both of these eras also showed the profound influence that youth culture has on fashion, which is so incredibly important, especially at a time when, you know, the upper echelons of haute couture are kind of credited with always setting the styles of fashion, you know, kind of in the fashion mainstream press. But when you start getting into these youth subcultures and youth cultures throughout these eras, you really see how much influence they had on the clothing that we put on our bodies into the modern day. And, you know, I just want to say congrats, all of you grad students for, you know, really taking on adapting an entire exhibition to being online and not as, you know, sometimes we have like companion digital presences for physical exhibition, but this was entirely born and conceived digitally. So, you know, that really allowed them to not only present images of the physical garments, which of course would have been in the museum galleries, but all of this other digital content, which is sometimes a little bit more difficult to engage with as a viewer in an exhibition. You know, I think that all of us are accustomed now to seeing video content in museums or galleries, but some of the extra things that they included, um, like you already mentioned, cast the curator walkthroughs, um, and then there's a whole bunch of content up on YouTube that was specifically created for the exhibition as well. There were conversations on jazz and 20th century Black glamour. Um, a bunch of the students also took on sewing projects to recreate these one-hour dresses, um, you know, these little little shift sheath dresses that were promoted through the paper pattern industry during the 1920s and the 1960s saying it only take you one hour to make this dress. So they recreated some of those. They also took patterns from extant garments from these periods and they themselves created digital patterns so you can make them at home. They're all available for free on the website. Um, you know, there's downloadable coloring pages. I think they're going to put some lesson plans up in the future um, for educators. Um, and, and I just want to also give a big shout out to whoever did all of the illustrations. Yes, exactly. I was going to say that too. Did you notice all the student bios? So that was really cool because that's not something we ever got to do, but they had student bios and each of them were illustrated by the same artist. They have a little portrait of each student, like, right next to their name. So I, I just, I was super impressed. I thought the whole thing was, you know, really well done. And and I, I do wonder if we won't be seeing a trend of more and more of these completely stand-alone digital exhibitions. Because I hope so. There's a lot of pros to it in certain ways. Of course, 
there's nothing, there's no substitute to seeing, you know, the stuff up close in person. But that also being said, if it's going to be a digital exhibition, there's a lot less wear and tear on the garments themselves, you know, because to be shown in person, they have to be dressed by trained costume mounters. And, um, you know, this is a whole process. It is not the same thing as dressing a store mannequin in any way. And, you know, while the pieces are on exhibition, they, they're subject to light damage. They're subject to gravity for the entire duration of the show. And then also if that show is to go on and travel to any other venues. So those are two kind of pros to the digital approach or the digital only approach and also expense. You know, mounting physical exhibitions is incredibly expensive. You have all of the exhibition design, you have all of the archival mounting and cases and displays and, and all of these things usually add up to tens of thousands of dollars, even for just a small exhibition. So we'll see. And accessibility, as I mentioned earlier, too. The fact that now this is literally available to everybody who has internet. So you can get on the internet and access, you know, exhibitions from these world-leading institutions. And I already said it, but the curators, Summer Lee and Alan Green, do a virtual walkthrough and discussion of the exhibition. There's all of these, as April mentioned, all of these different elements. And it really can become this immersive experience that, you know, for people who otherwise would not be able to enjoy and appreciate it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really interested in seeing the future of of post, you know, COVID. I mean, we all are, let's be honest. But just to see all of these, you know, even the programming that's available, conferences that you would have had to have found a lot of money to go and participate in. Now you can either pay a small free fee or they're free. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty, pretty incredible. So yeah, just head on over to the museum at FIT's website and um, it's right there, smack dab on the opening page and, and it's the uh, Roaring Twenties and the Swinging Sixties exhibition. Yeah, and in closing, I just wanted to say something that I really loved about this exhibition too was that they brought it into the present day. Um, Quote, the themes of the Roaring Twenties and the Swinging Sixties are especially poignant in light of the tumultuous beginnings of the 2020s. In addition to the global pandemic, movements for social justice and racial and gender equality, similar to those of the 1920s and 1960s, characterized 2020. Visitors are invited to contemplate what effects the progressive spirit of the 2020s will have on fashion and and how the resulting designs might compare to those of the 20s and 60s. And April, we've talked about this because I think we're all in for a 1920s-ish, um, <laughs> you know, kind of all in, all out, like mania after this thing is over. I think people, once they get the go ahead to go out and just start living our lives again and the ways we do that, I mean, the clothing people's going to wear, it's all going to be, it's all going to be pretty exciting. Yep. I can't wait. I'm ready. Ready to go. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. And, you know, just again, final thoughts, final notes. We are moving into a year of this thing. And April and I just want to express, you know, our hearts go out to everybody out there who's been directly affected by this thing. Our hearts are going to those loved ones and people with loved ones who are still fighting this horrific virus. So it is not over. So let's all still work towards a better future, everyone. And we love you, dress listeners. And I think that does it for us today, April. Certainly does. Um, also, um, you know, this was a fashion history now, and this is these are Cass and I's picks of things that we wanted to talk about. But we also love hearing from you guys, and we haven't been doing a lot of fashion history mysteries lately. Um, I, we do have one coming up in a few weeks, most likely. 
But um, if you have questions or topics that you would like us to cover, feel free to write to us and you can do so on Instagram. Um, You can DM us at dressed underscore podcast. You can also send us an email at dressed at highheartmedia.com. And last but not least, thank you to our producers, Holly Fry, Casey Pegram, and everyone else at iHeartMedia that makes this show possible each week. We will catch you on Tuesday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.